Hey all, Alan here, and welcome to A Journey's Rest, a podcast focused on the vast but deep set of topics about the complexity and joy of roleplay games. Whether you need to attune to a magic item, regain some hit points, change out spells, or just reminisce with friends, here we just sit down for around about an hour and enjoy ourselves. Have you ever felt frustrated running a session? Found yourself unfulfilled at the outcomes of your games? Well, this week we'll be talking about Game Master Fatigue and how it can be woefully difficult for all of us. Need someone to empathize with? Oh boy, we got you covered. Hope you enjoy. Okay, wonderful. Clap saying so. Wait, what? You're saying what? I said clap saying, and then I clapped. Oh yeah, cla- sorry. There we go. Good enough. Good enough. Well, you we got sync. it right. You got to sync up. You know. Did you tell the director that we were doing clap sync, dude? Uh, I don't know. Yes. Mark, did you get the clap sync? Mark. I think he's on a coffee. Break. I don't know, dude. I'm creating our fake, is, our fake people that help us out with this podcast. Yeah, no, you're like George Clooney. He helps all the time. Well, okay, sure, fair. You know, I just um, saw Brad Pitt last week. He was in the studio. Yeah, Brad Pitt, my favorite warlock. Um, he's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make a warlock named Brad Pitt just to spite you taking now. Over, you know, he's just sitting in the back of people's minds. Is he there? Is he really there? No one will ever know. Also, Tune in to Warlock... Warlock Club. Yeah, that's You're it. only that's allowed the... to have one favorite warlock, Alan, and it's definitely me. I, that's actually super fair. So we should probably do introductions. Um, hi, everybody. My name's Alan, and this is... Zach. Hi. I play <laughs> D&D sometimes. Um, no, but in all seriousness, sometimes means... Oh, nine years? On and yeah. off? Yep. Yeah, and I think it's um for me it's just about four or five now. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but we've both been playing for a long time of D and D, and um this is one of those moments where you look at what what is happening and you say, hey, do you ever have those moments where you just sit down and you accidentally talk with your friend about D and D for four hours? Me and Zach have been in that situation probably more times than I can fucking count. It's often. Um, and it, it's very often. And so we were like, well, why don't we just record some of that? Um, and we had some great topics of discussion that we were like really excited about possibly sharing with people. Because a lot of people come into this game as players and as people who don't really grasp the entirety of what's going on on the opposite end of the screen all the time. And so we thought it would be really valuable if we talked about some of this and kind of released it out there um, to get some of our creative energy moving as well, and then also to kind of share it with other people. Totally. I mean, D&D is like, in a way, it's a very like ethereal game. Like, what is D&D? Where does it start and stop? You know, that's, that's a question that I've actually kind of struggled with sometimes because... I don't know. There have been times where people ask me, like, are you playing? Like, is this still D&D? And, um, and in terms of like homebrew and whatnot, because clearly you can buy a rule book and you can learn the rules and you can start DMing. You can DM a module and that's definitely D&D. Um, mm-hmm. You can even write your own campaign within the rules that already exist. And that's also still D&D. But at what point have you improvised too much at the table or 
written enough like prior to coming to the table where it's no longer, you know, D and D. So yeah, that's, that's something that, um, I don't know. It's just such like a malleable game and being a DM is, I think a lot of the time overwhelming for people initially because it's just so much like so much power and so much freedom. So yeah. Yeah. So that's the purpose of this, I guess. Yeah. It's to kind of maybe even in a little bit, break the walls too, you know, so that we can kind of share some of those experiences with people and how it feels like coming from the other end, you know? Um, So today, our general thoughts were that we would talk to people about some of the process of kind of getting into the swing of things and trying to move forward with DM burnout, I think is kind of the the crux of what we wanted to get to today. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as as a player, oftentimes you can come to a table and expect for you to be able to um, move through things and be excited about a lot of things, but sometimes as a DM, that can be super stressful, right? Because you want to always be providing things that your players are excited for. And so um, oftentimes that comes from you also looking for those things that are exciting to you that you want to put into a game. And um, I think that w- I definitely have struggled with that in certain aspects. Um, for sure. What about you, Zach? Oh, totally. So like, okay, so kind of the the moment where we reached in a previous conversation that sparked off this whole idea was um, that we were we were talking and it's it's when you come up with an idea as a DM, you you can, I don't know, I think it manifests differently for different people, but you can be super excited about it initially, and then make it but you don't actually get to put it into the game necessarily. You might not get to put it into the game for like a month, depending on where you're at or where the, where the thing you're excited about is coming into play. And so by the time you actually put it into play, I mean, you can be really not excited about it anymore. I totally agree. Then, I mean, of course the players will sense that even if it is a super cool thing, they may sense like, Oh, I've actually had moments as a DM in the past where I'd done this exact thing and then I put it into the game and the players are like, wow, that's cr- that's crazy. That's such a cool idea. And I'm just like, I'm actually surprised because to me, it's not anymore. It's old news. I've, I've right. You know, that, I, that concept has been there for a month. So. Right. And I think I've, I've dealt with a couple different strategies trying to deal with this problem. And to me, it's come at in a couple different ways. So, I'm running two games right now, um, and uh-huh. I, I have prepared for them in two very different ways. And one is, to me, um, I feel like more conducive to DM excitement than the other is. And I had a lot of fun creating them both, but the execution has been um, very different for both of them. So one of them, I traveled to uh, Europe a little while back, maybe about a year and a half ago. No, actually, it was probably about a, just about a year ago now. Um, I also was there. Yes, you were there. We were. We both accidentally met in Europe. That was. I don't even. How how that timed out perfectly was absolutely insane. I still don't understand how we got there at the same time. Yeah, it just. It was so happened. weird. 
Yeah, uh, me and I was going to visit my sister in Europe, and Zach was going to visit uh, someone that he cared about. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share. Yeah, no, that's that. probably where that's a good place to leave it. I think. Okay, cool, good. Um, so yeah, we were just going to visit people, and uh, me and my sister said, "Oh yeah, we would like to go see uh, London," and so we were like, "Oh cool," and then we just like accidentally met. And it was wild and it so was pretty cool insane. that we got to spend some time. We went and saw some castles and mm-hmm. ate some good food. <laughs> Zach apparently doesn't know how to eat. Um, what were they? Um, dumplings. Zach <laughs> physically cannot eat dumplings. To be fair, um, they were filled with soup. And who would do that? They- <laughs> They were they were dumplings filled with soup, and as you bit into them, the soup was just like, hmm, look, a space where I cannot exist in this dumpling anymore, no. and it just spewed out all over the table. It was hilarious. They I were, it. frankly, but the, delicious, but I was they were soaked so good. afterwards. They were so good. The food there was amazing. Um, the execution of consuming the food was the hard part. Um, but nonetheless, right? So, like, yeah. I was in Europe. I got super excited. I went and I saw something uh, called the Dome or the um, the Cologne Cathedral, and I was so inspired. I wanted to create this whole religion for my players that they could go through and explore and utilize this church as this massive plot piece for the entire campaign, and I wrote tons of this stuff down. I went through... Oops, excuse me. I went through and I... Um, I looked at a lot of the possibilities of, like, how this stuff could interact and, you know, like, trying to brainstorm different things that I could put in the game. And then all of a sudden I had this great, vast thing, um, this this new, like, town on this fallen mountain and this village or this, like, group of religious people for it. And I was, like, super excited about it. The the story is... um, is less relevant than the execution, but basically I got to a point where I was like, wow, this is cool, but man, like, I feel like I this should have been executed half a year ago when I came up with this. Mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted the culmination of this to happen, and then it took so long to get there that I was just burnt out on the process of getting to where I wanted to go. Yeah. And that was super stressful because you know, it just took far too long to get there. Whereas um, the campaign that I'm currently running, uh, well, I'm running them both still, duh. But the other campaign that I'm running, I literally just made a promise to myself that I would not put anything in that campaign unless I was passionate about it. And that usually only kind of comes to me a couple days before. And so it's about like a day of me just sitting down and like, thinking for a little while well not a whole day but like a day of me like walking around doing the things that i normally do in that day and if i get hit with like a spark of something then i'll write that down and then i'll introduce it the next day in the in the campaign and that for me has made everything really fresh but it also kind of makes it so the preparation suffers a little bit so i'm trying to find this fine line between the two of them but sure. uh, it's always hard it's never easy what uh, zach how how have how, do you have any examples of like things that might might have affected you in that same way like maybe some examples from a different campaign that you've had oh boy oh do i um so i don't think it's any secret to you that i have a setting a mostly homebrew setting that i uh it was initially incepted by an old group that i played with uh we all kind of got together and built this world together um and ever since then i've had it and i've been slowly evolving it and molding it and i've played games in it 
And other people have actually run games in it as well long ago, pretty much after we initially created it. But it has changed so much since then that I doubt they would even recognize it anymore. Um, But this project is a perfect example of this because I've, I've been working on and off on this project most of the time that I've been playing D and D. And I think if I had to like rate on a scale of one to 10, one being it is not at all ready and 10 being it is finished, like how, how far along this project is by now, I think I'd say it's like a three, like I don't feel anywhere near completion. Yeah. Um, And it's weird because there are things, ideas that I've had in the past that I was very excited about for this setting. And then, you know, it goes away, but I'm not even running this setting right now. I'm endeavoring to create like a whole campaign setting and story and world literally without having any payoff. You know, there is no payoff for me right now. There's payoff maybe years down the line if I ever run it again, which I'm sure I will. Um, right. But it's weird because I don't know. Okay. So there's a couple things here, right? It's um, it's the distance between the inception of the, the idea you have and when you get to execute it. And we're going to say that execution in this situation is getting to, to, um, to bring it to the, to the game table, right? Right. Now, as you kind of touched on earlier, the bigger that idea is, the more time you're going to need to prepare for it. But also, the more time that you take to prepare for it, um, the less excited about it you're going to be, and potentially the worse your actual presentation will be. Even if all the numbers are there and the stats and everything's well built out, you can still get there and be like, Oh yeah, and does this and blah blah blah, and and trail off, you know, and and then you've wasted right. your own good idea in a certain light. Um, right. So it depends what your end game is, and it depends on the size of the idea as well as how far in advance you have it. There are also, um, I think, differences in where you like draw on for inspiration. So I I tend to be someone I like movies, I like. Uh, music and things like that. I like video games and I draw a lot of inspiration from scenes in those things. When someone does something in a movie that I think is really epic, I'll remember that and I'll be like, that's super badass. I bet if I could get somebody to feel how that scene makes me feel in a game, then they would, that would be really cool, you know? So I'll try and tailor my music selection. I'll try and tailor what's happening in the game. I'll try and help people in that direction because that, to me, that's what a cool character is. Right. But, um, right. not everybody draws inspiration from that in the same places. So I had a, I had a friend who shall remain nameless. We'll, we'll call him W. Um, and he would run games as well. Um, and he, he didn't draw inspiration from the same places I did at all. He drew inspiration from history. So all of his games are historical and that's to him, what was the most interesting and what was the most like almost vivid is recreating actual historical battles and stripping away all of the stuff from D and D that you might consider fantasy and getting down to just the medieval side of it. You know, he was the guy who always ran Harry Wade. He was the guy who always made you keep track of your ammunition. He was the guy who was like, now we're not going to have magic in this campaign and stuff like that. And that to him raised the stakes and made more interesting. And I, on some level, I actually get that. I've gone that direction as well, just experimentally as a DM. Um, But so there's also like, where do you draw inspiration from for your ideas? And so you talked about when you were in London and you saw castles and cathedrals and whatnot. 
um, and that was a major source of inspiration for you. But I imagine that you don't just fly all over the planet looking at ancient. <laughs> I don't know if buildings. my wallet would be able to would be able to handle that much. Yeah. So where do you only, mostly right? draw your inspiration from? I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah. No. I think. I think. I really what you're saying really hits home, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think that that is super. Um, that's super true too. Like I think that uh, the the movies and the video games and and music also really hits home for me too. I would say that um, in a lot of my inspiration, uh, I think it comes from yeah feelings. I really think it does come from feelings. The more and more that I think about it. Um, it does come from feelings and maybe trying to um, just things that I'm interested in at the time. Like, for example, I had an entire um, I I had this uh, this this inspiration for a piece of the set of one of the events that was going to happen in this campaign recently. And I love coding and I love making things look cool in like, like coding art. And <clears throat> so one of the things that I did was I just sat down and I just made this, um, I knew that I had this character named Akili Khan and that he was buried in this tomb and that he had this, uh, astrolabe, that he used to chart the sea. And okay. basically his whole goal was to create an astrolabe that would help him sail the stars. And oh, so, so what would, what happened was he became like magical and, and well, he was magical. His race is very magical. Um, they're like this custom race for my world that got created. Uh, Zach, I don't even know if you know about them at this point, but Isn't maybe some guys? other time. Uh, the purple guys... That live inside the sphere? The Cathari, I think Maybe. they were called? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was what they, that was what they were originally called, but they've yeah. kind of changed a little bit now, but yes, yes, okay. that, that is them. Um, but basically, um, he was one of them, and it was like this, like, really weird cultural stuff happened to him, blah, 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 I don't, it doesn't really matter for this example. Um, but I basically made a piece of art that was um, just like these large spheres rotating around each other, and then I used a bunch of, um, a bunch of fonts to create different things that rotated around those spheres, and I gave it to my players as, like, this decoding puzzle so that they mm -hmm. could have a decoding puzzle. And I was wow. like, oh, I'm really excited about trying something new, right? About just, like, getting a new idea. Because I had never done a decoding puzzle before. Yeah. Um, and so if anybody could read this language, which in my world, um, you know, all magic things are written in this language called Arcanic. And it, we just use... Um, we use uh, what is it the the Atlantean language from Atlantis, and so <laughs> the Lost City of Atlantis, uh, that old Disney movie, and yeah. so basically I just everything that is uh, written in arcane runes is is written in arcanic, and so I just gave them that sheet. If anybody knew Arcanic, basically they could then go through and translate this. And then they started learning, like, oh, this one's a moon, but in my world there are two moons. And then there's, like, a second moon that's, like, not here in this thing. And so it just became this whole kind of deconstruction of stuff. And so okay. that all came from me just being really excited about coding something. Um, so I don't know. I think inspiration can really hit from a lot of different places. Um, and I think that... Uh, 
ultimately, if I had to give any advice to any DM, it's like, don't let another DM tell you exactly where to get your inspiration. Um, For you, sure. Like, the, uh, I think that everybody is excited about different things, right? If yeah. I look at you and I say, oh, like, you know, what are you excited about? Um, I'm going to hear you say, you know, video games and, and music and movies and cool feelings in those. But there are other people who are going to be like, yo, dude, I just like really like practicing martial arts and then maybe they're like okay well what can you do to incorporate that exciting thing into your game and honestly the longevity of that excitement probably does come from the re the continued um re-upping of those activities in your own life too because if you're constantly feeling that same type of excitement then preparing and giving those ideas to people in your games will probably generate the same amount of excitement yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, on on the inverse of what I was talking about earlier, I've also had times where I was really excited about a concept and I brought it to the table and was, and presented it in a very excited way and got the players all excited about it. And then retrospectively, looking back months later, I'm like, that was stupid. <laughs> that was not <laughs> cool. That was a bad idea. But I did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, you got to commit. As a DM, sometimes you, do. you just got to commit. Yep. Like some sometimes you're just like, oh wow, I'm not sure about this idea, and it's like, no, you commit. Like mm -hmm. if you don't commit, then no one feels any weight, I guess, you know. So totally, it's that that is that's a big thing. Um, but yeah, I think there's like a fine line to walk between committing and being excited about stuff and and things like that, and in improvisation too, um, because mm -hmm. obviously improvisation is like sometimes half the fun of D and D. So yeah, I mean. I would say a lot of the fun of D&D for me, yeah. truthfully. No, improvisation so. is, is phenomenal. I mean, uh, you're, you're, part of the beauty of that is it's actually inescapable. There is no course, fully yeah. prepared DM. I mean, yeah. if your players really want to, they'll derail anything. Of course. <laughs> and that's yeah. not even bad. That's actually a good thing, I think. I, I, I applaud the inventiveness of... Um, of players applying the tools that the game gives them or that you give them in unexpected ways and ingenious ways. Um, I kind of think that gets into the power level of players as well as like less powerful players will be more creative with the abilities sure. that they have. Yeah. And so I think in a certain way, D and D actually gets boring. The more powerful you get, there's maybe like a sweet spot in there somewhere around like yeah, we, we have talked about five and 10, bit. but yeah. Well, were you, would you, you called it like heroic campaigns one time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, I, f I forget. It might be heroic campaigns. I don't remember the exact terminology, but yeah, it's the, that concept is something I read online about where you basically just stop at level six. And I think you keep getting feats every so often and stuff like that, but your health doesn't increase and you don't get any more class abilities. So dragons stay scary. Chimeras stay scary. Monsters stay dangerous. I mean, it's possible to beat a dragon even at level six, yeah. but you're going to need an army. You know, it's not going to happen with six people. Um, yep. On the on the inverse of that, I mean, there's like legendary campaigns and stuff like that where you play characters that are higher than 20th level or gestalt campaigns where if you're level 10, then that means you have 10 levels in one class and 10 levels in another. The This goes back to the whole versatility thing for D&D. I mean, there's, you can, you can play D&D in a million different ways, a million different ways. And you can yeah. also DM D&D in a million different ways. So, but those are all yeah. other conversations for another day. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, the good thing about this is that we're not locked into 
never talking about those. Yeah. Um, so that's that's always good. Um, have you? Oh gosh, I had this really good question. Um, have you ever been in a campaign where the DM basically just says, "No, you guys do this"? Like, because I, I know that there have been instances. I, I'm guilty of this, right? Like, I think that there have been instances where I'm like, "No, this has to happen," but like, this is like one of the only instances in my game where I kind of have to take the reins away mm-hmm. and be like, "Here's your inciting incident. Now deal with it." Um, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that, of course, right? Like, I don't think that any DM has, has, I don't think that there's any DM that can say I've never, even in a small aspect, had at least, you know, a couple feet of railroad in my, in my game. Um, but I think that, um, I, I think the good thing that I've always, uh, had is I don't think I've ever had a DM that has explicitly said, you go here, you do this, and then you're done. Um, I, I don't think I've ever been on a completely railroaded uh, session, and maybe that's just luck. I think it's luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, have you ever had situations where um, DMs just don't really, like, they're just kind of there, and then they would, like, buy a module, and then they just kind of read from the pages or anything like that? Because that's, that's one way for a DM to be prepared. Um, I think there's a big difference, though, between DMs who are, like, kind of forced into being a DM and just have to read from the module, and DMs who are excited to read from modules. Because, of course, I, I don't want to module shame anyone. You know what I mean? Um, because I think modules are still, personally, I think running from a module is not a bad thing. Um, no. You know, we don't all have time to sit down and create vast worlds. Um, so uh, so that's always a good thing. But I think mm-hmm. there are a lot of times when I've, ha- I've, I've heard of these nightmare DMs who will just sit down, read from a module, allow no creativity, and then just close the book and walk away. And I, have oh, you ever boy. had experiences like that? Um, well, I think it's very interesting that we're talking about this um, and that we've come to this point while we're talking about DM excitement in like that – vain because i think they're related um oh yeah of course so yes i have heard of that um here's the thing D has become and i've watched it become as a player and as a dm infinitely more popular than it was before and much more yep. mainstream than it was before we have social people playing D before or now that wasn't the case before um D previously was kind of a refuge for people who used it as a way to kind of hide behind like almost social ineptitude like D and I mean, that sounds horrible to say, but it's the truth. I mean, I've played a lot of D and D with a lot of different people. And let me tell you the, the general community is warming quite a bit. Now I've played okay. games of D and D that have um, been something similar to what you're describing, yeah. but actually the worst DMs, the DMs that railroad the most, which that's not necessarily always the worst DM. I'll, I'll tell you a comparison in just a second. But the DMs who railroad the, the worst are usually the ones who have a vision, but don't oh, have the wisdom okay. to implicate it with free choice. They're, they're somebody see. who has a really an idea for a story that they're really latched onto. And actually, I know people who've played a campaign and it was like their first and only experience with D&D. Um, and I know these people very well, multiple friends who were in that campaign. I don't know the DM, but the DM did this exact thing where they had a subject and a story that they really liked and they wanted to recreate it with players, but they didn't really want to recreate it with players. They just wanted to act it out. 
Right. But they, okay. couldn't, they couldn't share that power. So they created everything, but it was all railroaded. No one made oh. any choices, right? So is that really D&D at that point? I would say, you know, honestly, I, I, I always hear this a lot. And I hear, you know, I hear the words, you know, no D&D is better than bad D&D. And I think, honestly, that comes around in a lot of different ways. Because D&D to me is... Um, is I, there's a lot of different definitions, right? Because some yeah. people just want to sit down and they just want to smack some shit. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, they just want to kill things all night. It, exactly. And for a lot of people, that's okay, hmm. right? That's okay. But yeah. that's not what D&D is for me. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that's not what D&D is for you. No. Um, but for some people, that's all they want out of it. Um, and you know what? If they gain vast amounts of enjoyment from just sitting down saying, I kill the goblin, you get 50 gold. It's like, cool. That interaction is like, that's, that's whatever. If that's, if that's how you enjoy it, that's good. But I don't think I've ever really started to sit down and consider um, the difference between that wisdom and that, that design, right? Because what you're, I think what you're trying to tell me right now, like what I'm, what I'm getting from this situation is like, you know, like with these DMs that have this idea of really wanting to execute a vision, but not having the understanding of the concepts of like what really drives D&D, um, mm-hmm. that they, they're just like not able to put those two things together. That makes a lot of sense, right? Cause people can be passionate, but when their players don't play it the way that they want them to play it, it can be a, a wedge between them. Right. And that, makes a ton of sense honestly it does like how because... do you inter- how do you react as a dm when right. you set something up and it doesn't go the way you want it to you know when yeah. you have that inspiration and you want to introduce that thing and you want to have that moment but it doesn't yeah. happen because of something the players did that's yep. that's tricky um yeah i so the example i wanted to give to kind of talk about railroading for just a moment is i've had a dm who did that where they had a vision and they wanted that vision to come to fruition no matter what. And Mm -hmm. they uh, would prevent people from doing actions or they would punish people for going off of the the railroad. You know, that's actually even worse. If you force your players to stay on the railroad, that's one thing. But if you punish exploration and innovation and trying to show character, then that's, that's, that's worse. That's, I mean, yeah, that's not what D and D is, is meant to be. I don't think. Um, right. But then there's freedom. And so you were talking earlier about um, how many players, all they really want to do is kill stuff. And that's fine if you have a party of people who want to kill stuff. And it's fine if you don't have a party of people who want to kill stuff and the DM just throws a little bit towards that one player every once in a while. You know, I, I think many people have played in a group where uh, there was the murder hobo on the in the party. Yeah. And the murder hobo is kind of oh, yeah. charming in a certain way as long as they stay in their box. <laughs> Um, yeah, but then that gets into freedom because many murder hobos as players will realize the freedom that they have and they will realize that they can turn the campaign into something that it wasn't initially intended to be and they will monopolize on that. So the other aspect of that is sometimes you need a little bit of railroading or sometimes you need to make yeah. sure that your moments happen the way you want them to happen. Your your players are acting as characters, but they're kind of flying blind in a certain way when it comes to the story. They don't know what the next twist is that's coming. If they did, it wouldn't be a twist. So sometimes you do have to rein them in. I've also played games where I had ultimate freedom. There was no plot. It was a true sandbox. 
But the problem with the true sandbox is it's actually not very much fun. It's just you mm-hmm. killing everything you see, right? A oh, true yeah. sandbox is not a very good idea. If you want to play a sandbox campaign, that means choose your own adventure. That means, oh, I'm in this world. I have no directive. There's no main plot. There's nothing I have to stick to. So I'm going to go create my own narrative. I'm going to go here. But it doesn't mean that you go to a town and nobody there has any interactions with you and no story right. happens. That's not right. that's a true sandbox and that's just the void. Right. I I totally agree. And I think I think the biggest thing for people to understand is like uh, or as a DM, uh, if you want to run a sandbox game, um allowing your players to kind of having basic ideas of everywhere and then allowing your players to really kind of tell you where they want to go and then building things for the direction that they're going with so Mm -hmm. for example in this campaign that i'm running um the first thing that i said was like okay like you guys all meet at this one area and then what do you do and i had kind of ideas on like what directions they could go um but the big thing was that they decided i'm gonna go this way Mm -hmm. and here's what we're interested in and i said okay cool And so then I kind of prepared things around that. And then they said, okay, this is the part about this stuff that you prepared that's interesting to us. And I said, okay, I'll kind of focus in on that a little bit more. And then the more and more that they give me, the more and more I can give back to them. And I think that's probably the sandbox that I like to run. Because that feels like, to me, that's a symphony of of both of you playing together. Because a lot of people will come into D&D and be like, all right, the DM will run the game and the players will have fun. And that's like fucked up, man. Because... I've had a lot of instances where it's like, oh, no, the DM has to be, like, perfect, and the DM, like, needs to just, like, execute this situation. And, like, yeah. the DM's a, a player, too, you know? We want to we have fun, and we want, we want to be enjoying oh the situation as well. And there, there's been a, like, there are times when it's hard because you're trying to be, you're trying to walk this line of making things fun but also committing to the story and being mm-hmm. harsh where you need to be harsh and being lax where you need to be lax. Oh, for sure. And, and you're all, there's always a line that's difficult to walk. There and is. yeah, it's, it's never easy with that. But I think that honestly, that really comes back to, um, you know, DM burnout too, because sometimes you can try your absolute best, try and commit to those moments, trying to make people feel the weight of your situations, and they can still be, you know, frustrated with where it's landed. And yeah. you, you have to be like, you know what, like, I, that session just wasn't fun. But for yeah. this to feel like it's impactful for you to feel the good later, I have to be harsh right now. And sometimes that's Absolutely. a hard line to walk too, because... Um, I know both you and me have had situations where both of us have been on the opposite end of the table, um, me playing <sighs> for you and, and you playing for me, where that where that's occurred. And yep. it's hard, but it always has to be like, yeah, dude, today, today – it's like, yeah, man, today you made your players feel like shit. That's the yep. end of the story, right? Yeah. And that's okay. That's That happens sometimes. That happens yeah, it does. a lot of times. But that doesn't mean that that is the end of the game. You know what I mean? Like, you still get to play, and you get to feel the reactions from the, the end of that. It's just that, you know, like, that, feel, that makes everything else more impactful. But that can, that can add to a lot of DM burnout, too. It's the balance of trying to be that harshness, but then also getting that levity to where you can balance those t- things <clears> to <throat> making it feel like you're not too harsh 
too oh, much of sure. the time to where you can kind of pull that into being like this harshness made this uh, this high point much more impactful, but yeah. you're not being too harsh too too much of the time. It's it's a difficult line to walk. It is. It is necessary to uh, on occasion inject a little bit of levity, you know, and and let everybody loosen yeah. up sometimes. Because yeah, I mean, ugh, there have been times where. Um, I mean, this kind of plays into like player death. If a player dies, what, what do you do as a DM? You know, I mean, the game will tell you to do one thing. Um, yeah. Other DMs may tell you to do something else. Everybody handles dying and death, I think, in, a, in their own way. That's probably the most homebrewed rule oh, that, yeah. that exists in D&D is, is hit points and, and death and, and losing them, right? Um, yep. Because... You're caught between a rock and a hard place. Either you kill a character, you kill a player's character who they've worked on and inhabited and grown attached to, and not just them, but all the other players at your table as well. Or you don't kill oh, yeah. them and cheapen the whole adventure and take away any exactly. danger or threat. Or you don't kill them and keep that threat there and kill the next player that that gets into a bad situation. And then you just, I mean, it just gets messy really quickly and really easily. It's um, hard. It is hard. I mean... That, that even goes to, like, playing video games and stuff like that is, like... And dying in video games is... I mean, it really breaks immersion in almost every agree. video game. It's very yeah. hard to play a character who can die and then get back up five seconds later over and over and over again. Um, yeah. But even outside of the realm of player death... Um, I mean, what happens when you come up with this great idea that you think is so cool and you work so hard on it, and then the day you present it, I don't know, maybe one of your players, uh, it relates specifically to them and their character, but they had a bad day at work, they're exhausted, and they just can't be bothered to invest that particular day, right? Then that, yeah. that totally, like, that can create a feeling of, like, whiplash, I feel like, and I've felt that more yeah. than once. Yeah. Do you, do you have any examples of stuff like that? Um. So, I, I live in the more northern hemisphere, so it gets very cold and gray and snowy here in the winter. Um, and that really affects some people more than it affects others. And yeah. I've had a couple... Uh, there was a game that I ran that you were a part of, and there was a player in that game who we both know very well. Um, and there was, like, probably about a month of, of weekly sessions where she just wasn't there she just wasn't there yeah. she was on her phone or she had thousand yard stare and her character was just non-present right yep. like every time it gets around to her turn in combat if combat is happening then i have to re-describe the whole situation to her you know that kind of thing that's that's exhausting <laughs> yeah. as a dm yeah, it dude, really is and it's yeah. frustrating to feel like you've put work into this game that that you want to like put out there i think i as a yeah. dm am very guilty of um chasing that perfect session if you know what i mean yeah i've oh, had yeah. maybe a handful of sessions and in all my years of playing DD or dming um which i've done for most of it i've had m probably a number of sessions that i can count on two hands where it was like electric and i didn't even really know what was happening as a dm but i knew that oh, yeah. everybody there was super into it Everybody there was yep. having a great time, and I couldn't really explain it. I didn't know what the oh, concoction man. was that got me there. But, I mean, the feeling of, like, running a D&D &D session and having a really good time as a DM, as a group, as as the player, whatever it is, 
And at the end, like having your players just be like, whoa, that was crazy. Like, look at you and tell you that was so cool. I mean, that feeling is wonderful. That feeling is probably a big part of the reason why I play D&D in the first place, if I'm honest. 100%. Yes, of course. (laughs) And so it's easy to then start chasing that that feeling and that session, that perfect session. And what I've just described, when you've made something and you've worked with your own time and your own hands on something and you present it and it just it's not even met with frustration or anger it's met with just neutrality that's the yeah, worst and that's the ones. furthest away from that ideal session right you can't get further away than your players just oh, yeah. not caring i think that really comes to a, a bunch of it like I, i've got a couple points of uh sorry my brain was just like oh yeah i've got two du- directions i want to go with that point um yeah my my first one is that it's oftentimes just kind of like that random electricity, like that, that random lightning in a bottle, right? Um, because I think even trying to chase perfect sessions like that almost ensures that they don't happen sometimes. Mm, because can. it's, I think that, I, of course, it can get you closer, right? Um, but I, I think it's just got to be like a storm of good intentions by your players, yeah. engagement, and you attempting your best and also making sure that you're being fair and like um, all above board with everything and just like kind of everything coming together um, oftentimes makes that just like these random like one-off experiences. I had that one time recently actually i was really proud of a session i don't know if this really counts in totality anymore but i just remember getting to like the time when my session was supposed to stop and they were like oh no alan that's no you can't you can't do that we're we're, we're not we're not done here and i'm like guys it's 11 yeah. and we were, they were like no 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 we're and going until 3 a.m this is yeah. not over and i was like okay and then like yeah th- a lot of shit happened. Someone got body possessed. They consumed an entire person by eating them whole. Uh, yep. It was a it was a scenario, <laughs> but <laughs> as um, these things happen, yes, yeah, as, as it does, as things do happen in D and D. But nonetheless, w- what I'm trying to get at is like I think a lot of this type of stuff, um, a lot of it can come back to person composition. Like, hmm. um, like the composition of the actual people playing the yep. game with you, it's important, yes. right? Because like, if, if we are to have a session and I look at it and I say, okay, I'm super excited to have this, except for that one person who I know walks in, sits down, tells me they're enjoying the game and sits on their phone. And right? does nothing. I, and does nothing, right? And so I've had, you know, like I, I tell my players, like when you come in, your phone is for looking at your character sheet and your spell stuff, your spell slots, and yeah. anything like if you have inventory on there, that's fine, right? But like, try not to be on your devices. Um, there are a couple people that I trust with that, um, but there are pretty much most of people I don't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's even getting harder right now because um, a lot more people are playing online at this current moment, yeah. and it's harder to really rein that in. Um, yeah, but going back to that person that you were talking about, like, dude, I c- it's exhausting when you try and write material for someone that is not engaging, yeah. right? Because I can, I can, I remember this time I gave this person, uh, you were in this campaign, I gave this person uh, um, an item, and I basically said, the better your interaction with this character, the better this item is. And I was trying to say, yep. okay, as long as you interact with my game 
this item will be stronger because I knew that person was interested in being a murder hobo, right? Yeah. They were very, they were so engaged when I it know came who you're to fighting. About. But but after it after it left, right? After we left that scenario, I would have to like individually force them into role playing. And when they did it, they were amazing at it. They were yeah. so good. And that was the frustrating part because I knew they were really good at role playing. But then I would have yeah, you to, and like, I like both when it was had a, this person in our games and I they right. behaved similarly. And, and when you when it was a collective endeavor, it was difficult. But when it was mm-hmm. an individual de- endeavor, it was easy. But yeah. it, it's it's hard to make that balance because I'm not playing with one person. You know what I mean? And so then it can become very exhausting when I try and write material for people like that. And then I'm like, okay, like here's all this cool stuff. And then they're like, ah, oh, sweet. And then like the game just kind of moves on. And it feels like I've wasted all of that time trying to get to a cool moment and mm-hmm. then not receiving the payoff, that electricity, right? That lightning in a bottle that I was really hoping to get, you know? Yeah. Um, it's exhausting. And I think that that really contributes to the same type of feeling as well. It is. Well, and okay, so the, uh, the thing that I think a lot of players may not totally understand is as a DM, you're talking to them, but you're also kind of in your own world. And there are definitely yeah. parts of the game, moments in the game that are not for all of the players. They're for right. one character. You know, if, if I don't know, if, if, some character named Jason is in their hometown and is talking to their parents. That, that might not be a super great time for somebody else to bring up their whole backstory. That's, that's kind of right. out of place there, but makes sense. Yeah. At, at its core, the, the game is for the players. You didn't make it for anybody else. So it's very right. strange that some players kind of assume that it isn't theirs. You know what I right. mean? Like they, they'll work. That's exactly this kind of player is they'll, they'll, sit there on their phone. Whereas if you were having a conversation and they did that, that'd be rude, right? If you were talking right. to them, that'd be rude. No right. one would ever like pull their phone out and look at it and expect you to not be mad if you're having a conversation with them. But I think it, it part of what that gets into is like group psychology because people will do that if they're in a group of four people and you're talking to all four of those people. They'll just tune out, you know? Right. Um, so... So one of the things that you've actually introduced that I have adopted for my games is the D4s, which oh, is yeah. a really good idea. The, the concept is at the beginning of the session, you hand out three D4s to uh, each, each player, and those players can't roll those D4s. They can only give them to other players uh, in moments where that player is interacting with the story or has done something really cool or really interesting uh, and right. has embodied their character. That's when it's supposed to be used. We've actually, interestingly, you introduced this, and even in the game you introduced this, we did see some abuse of it, and I'll, I'll, we'll talk about yeah. that in a second. But um, So they would, and then once you have a D4 given to you from someone else, you can roll it with a D20 roll to boost that roll, yep. any D20 roll. And that's a really interesting concept. I think that's really good. But the the symptom that that's treating is the problem of people not wanting to interact with your game. People playing right. D&D without playing D&D, right? And you having to like drag players into right. social interaction, into engaging with your story, your characters, your NPCs, and yep. stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I really utilize it to try and gamify that like mm-hmm. quantifiable thing where it's like, oh yeah, you did something cool. 
yeah. other players are giving you d4s for it, and you feel that kind of like endorphin rush of you being like, okay, I did something good. I got these points for it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, and sometimes that gamifying is what some people need. Yeah, but in that game that you were running, that I was a player in, and other people were a player in, right? People started giving away d4s that had nothing to do with role playing. That had nothing to do with yeah. killing something, or, or I mean, there was some that were kind of questionable in there, but it was like. Someone would say a meme and it'd be like, all right, that was pretty funny. You get a D4 for that. And it's like, no, yeah. you're missing the point of the D4s. That's <laughs> yeah. not how they're supposed to work. So then you had to start controlling that as a DM. And as soon as you start controlling that, then the players are like, oh, fine. Well, I just won't use them then. It's fine. I mean, how many sessions did we did we hit where at the end one of the players would have not given away any of their D4s? Yeah. So I, I think ultimately it was a good – it was a good attempt, and I still like the system a lot. I, like I that still will a lot use too. it, of course. Um, but I do find it where, like, the people who are actually uh, engaged, like, it, it's, it feels to me like it's still rewarding the players that are actually playing, um, which is a good thing because I want I want them to feel that way, For sure. right? For but, sure. But but it, it feel like it it engages the people who are disengaged less that it engages the people that are already engaged absolutely makes sense absolutely um i will say so that yeah. for the engaged players it did do a good job of getting it, people who normally are engaged to also pay attention to other people's storylines and not just like yeah. whatever was going on you know to invest oh, yeah. a little bit more i agree with that but it did miss the mark of like pulling that that silent player into the fray you know into the yeah. into the game so yep now we will talk about something, or I will bring up something at least, that is difficult. I've done it a lot. Okay. I think you've done okay. it less. Um, okay. And that is the fake game. The, the uh, I don't even know how to describe it, like the harvest game, right? Yeah. Where I run as a DM. I've moved around in my life from time to time. I mean, going through college and all that kind of does that to you. Yep. Every yep. time I would get to a new place, I would... Of course, be like, well, I gotta play D and D. It's it's in my blood. What what? I'll Im yeah. I'll implode in a month if I don't play. D &D. Oh, I hear you. I um, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. And so I would find people. I would join the the RPG club or whatever it is. Um, or I would branch out. I've always managed to find like sources of players, and then yep. I will like shuffle people around. I will run a shitty little one month campaign for which I've done absolutely no planning, have no concept whatsoever. Maybe like a very basic concept at the beginning. Yep. I've run space Westerns, which sounds like a really good game and probably could be a really good game, but I knew it wasn't really what I wanted to do. It's not why I ran the game. I ran the game to farm players to yep. see how they interacted with one another, to see how they interacted with me to, to get to know people and it feels a little bit disingenuous. It really does. It has, it has, especially early on, kind of caught in my throat a little bit. You know, it has made sure. me uncomfortable to do that to people because I'm on some level deceiving them. Yeah. Um, but it has also led to some of the best games that I've ever played because I find groups of players who not only I like, groups of people who not only I like, but who work well together, who play the game right. well together. And then yeah. you invest in the like year long campaign, you know, then you yeah. dig deep and, and stuff like that. And I will say it's not a hundred percent because um, part of the problem that I've run into with this system is I've actually run multiple games before and chosen specific players from different games 
and tried to put them all together. And even though I like the sum of the parts, even though I like all the people who are in that game with me, the actual game ends up not being very good because they don't sure. work well together. You know, sure. so it's it's a I mean, D&D is such a balancing act as as a DM. It um, is. Yeah. So you've done that less, I think. Right. So yeah. I, I wanted yeah. to bounce that off of you and see how you react. No, I, I think I think honestly, I I need to do that more um, because I feel like I've tried um, I've tried just like inviting people and jumping into huge campaigns. And I think I think I'm done doing that for a little while. Um, because, um, I've had a lot of success with it and I've had a lot of failures with it. Um, and honestly, let, I'm going to be straight up with everybody right now. Um, generally writers and actors, I found way more success with yeah. than anything else because they know how to keep space, give space and, um, and engage in a place where we're all trying to make a story. Right. right? Tell when a story. I, when I... Exactly. Yeah. And, and when I, when I try and, um, and have games and just like automatically be like, all right, you jump in. They'll be like, I have no fucking idea what's going on. Like, I don't know how to play this game. (laughs) And it's hard because it takes a long time for it to click for them. But for people who have done improv before, who have written fiction before, um, who have just in some way done artistic endeavors in their life before, D&D is way easier because it's much easier easier to step into the outside shoes of the character that you're trying to embody than it is for other people who have never tried to express that type of creativity before yeah um and and i think i've, I've really come to that after a while and kind of figured that out um i i really should do more games like that but that doesn't mean that also i i remember you saying uh, you feel like you're deceiving people i don't think that that necessarily excludes fun from from those yeah. Uh, from those farming games, you know, like I loved the space Western. I thought that was dope. <laughs> right. I thought it was super cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I keep getting ripped apart in literally every game that I play. Cause you just, uh, your die suck and you just keep using <laughs> them. And I don't know what to tell you, man. It ha- it happened. I Zach, I'm shitting you not. It, it literally happened yesterday. It, <laughs> it, it happened yesterday to another character of mine. I was like, I'm this Alan. really cool like thing that I made. And then this NPC was like, guess what? Body horror. And I'm like, but fucking why? <laughs> I'm tired weird. of walking around with no arms. I'm tired of walking around <laughs> being a split soul, not even my own you person. Built- the biggest, buffest, strongest, literally you built the <laughs> toughest character you possibly could for the Space Western, and he still got ripped apart in the end. Not yep. even physically, yep. but mentally. Mentally. It's yeah, just there was torn like... apart. <laughs> in the very end of that, do you, do you want to kind of explain where he ended up, or do you oh want me God. to do it? I, can I even remember? It had I, something I can remember to do very with... vividly. Yeah, you, you tell it. You'll probably remember better than I do. So essentially, there was um, we all got superpowers in the space western game, and it was super fun because of um, course, yeah, because of course. Um, and uh, my power was that I could like I couldn't become un- uh, unconscious, and I could also separate my mind from my body. And this was like part of the unconscious. You could part. do like kind of an like, astral drift thing. Right, and I could essentially like be outside of my body in this like astral plane, and then if I were strong enough, I could take over another person's body by basically mind controlling them. Um, mm-hmm. But what happened was uh, 
another one of our good friends, um, uh, we'll call him Jerry for now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jerry had a, a time a time um, control power, right? Yep. And Jerry essentially was he could travel all across time and eventually he met this character called the horseman which basically was every time traveler that ever existed knew that eventually everything would end and they just kind of existed in all spaces at the same time um right. and all of them would eventually join this hive mind because there was nothing else yes and it was the idea that that um sooner or later a individual has had so many experiences that they necessarily evolve emotionally into an eventuality and that eventuality was the was the horseman which was yeah. yeah like a hive mind of people who had lived so long and had so many experiences that they ended up overlapping a lot and became one person yeah, yeah and so it was like yeah it was this really interesting concept i loved it um but essentially uh, we Jerry would split timelines uh, uh, every now and then. As and of course he would. At one time, we got clones of ourselves, and um, <sighs> you know that happened. And then uh, Jerry couldn't deal with his own like he his mind broke because um, the way that things worked out too minds inhabited his body and we basically had to erase one one of the minds so that one of them could live yep. and well, that's cool whatever blah 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 you know a little further down uh, in the set in the campaign maybe five or so sessions later my clone has died or no my clone is the only one that's still alive out of the two so your original character died and your temporal clone that jerry had created now yep. persisted yeah. yeah, so I no longer had the original one. Goodbye, Harrison. You uh -huh. were a blast. Um, but uh, eventually, bad things happened. Jerry was pretty ambivalent, or Jerry's character was pretty ambivalent towards the world and just started killing a lot of people because he's like, well, they're going to die a more horrible death, death than if I kill them right now, so yep. I'm technically doing good. Let's murder and all these innocent like, farm people. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he, and he, that was his explanation. So I got to out of fair, my body. he wasn't alone. Yeah, that's true. That's fair. Um, although I don't know if the other person had nearly as much justification. Nope. Um, Which but, is worse. Almost zero. <laughs> almost zero justification on their part. But um, I then uh, my character dislocated his astral being, his astral self from his body, <laughs> went into Jerry's mind, and started screaming at him about different experiences he had had as his other mind. And then that started causing cognitive dissonance in Jerry's brain, and it basically shattered Jerry's brain. And uh, half of – yeah. And so then all two, the two Jerry's recorporealized and the one Harrison uh, recorporealized, and they all had to kind of fit somewhere. Yep. And so then – both of us became two-thirds Jerry and one-third Harrison, and so then I basically played a third of my original character, two-thirds of Jerry, and Jerry played two-thirds of Jerry and one-third of my character, which he then promptly erased by utilizing what we essentially what essentially was a pit boy um, but it, it essentially erased it, so he was like, okay, cool, everything's good again, and I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> well, when you take three minds and you shatter them and you blend them all up 
and you yep. redistribute into two yeah. different bodies a number of <laughs> random emotions and memories. Yeah. And two of those people are versions of the same person. Yep. That's what happened. You uh, you wound yep. up playing a shattered kind of maybe a third, maybe a technically a sixth of Harrison and yeah. two thirds of uh, the other guy. But also yep. to sit. Uh, it's very confusing. It was a yeah. that was a bit of as I was previously alluding to. I wasn't trying very hard in that campaign because I was <laughs> yeah. farming players. That, yeah, that makes sense. And I think ultimately, though, the farming that you did during that campaign was very successful. Um, it certainly was. I I would say I think that. Um, do, do you care if I share your setting name? Um, you can go for it. Okay. When we played Edia, like that was, um, you know, that's my, that was my jam, man. I love that character. Yeah. I love that character so much. I played a character. Me and me, actually, me and the and the person who played Jerry. Uh, well, so so Jerry, me and Jerry played these two characters named Malak and Raven. Um, and, uh, they were, you know, some of my favorite characters that I've ever played in yeah. my entire life. They so, were fantastic. Once again, you yeah. got fucked up pretty much every opportunity you possibly could. Yeah, but, yeah, you know, you know the first time, the, literally the first time I ever touched one of the terrible <laughs> magical items, it was just like, how about I blow your arm off? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, cool, another thing! And then Jerry touched it, and he was like, hmm, cool, infinite power. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Why Listen, am I always boned? <laughs> you can't just go touching magical items with no... He literally walked up and touched it right after I did, and it was just fine. To be fair, the reason that uh, that happened is because actually he touched it beforehand, said, ooh, I don't like it. And you said, don't worry, little brother, I got this. And then you touched it, it blew your arm off. And then he was like, <laughs> oh, it blew my brother's arm off. That's pretty cool. And then he touched it and was fine. So, maybe, yeah. you know, there might be some correlation there. <laughs> That's how I remember it, at least. I don't know. Maybe as a DM, I did make the decision to just blow your arm off. Eh, you know, and then I had like literally a third of that campaign. I was just walking around with one arm. I was like, "Okay, cool." No, I thought okay. you got a replacement pretty soon after. I got a replacement, but then that person died the next nope, session. That's true. That did happen. Yeah. So she was like, "I'm gonna control. I'm gonna put a lot of magic into this arm so that it doesn't go away." And I was like, "Oh, sweet. Thank you so much." And then we like left, and she was like, "Guess I'm dead." And then it just went away. And As I, the DM, I, no I was like, "No, no, no, no. We can't have this. This is not all right." Yeah. Fun? I took that arm away for a reason. F- fuck that shit. Fun? No, I'm kidding. That was. I mean, it was always interesting for sure. Yeah. So, um, these things. Happen. You know, it's fun. And then, and then it was like, oh yeah, you lose all your all your powers too. You no longer have any magic. And I was like, Don't oh play cool. A so now I'm I'm accidentally naked now because all of my armor is summoned magically. And it's like, ah! oh god! You thought that was such a good idea, and then it wasn't. <laughs> it was an awesome idea. It still created a wonderful roleplay moment. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot we could talk about. Well, about and that speaks to your strength as a player and your strength of improv, Alan. Is the yes and is I oh. I know I can't do that to all players, but I know I can hack you apart, and you'll go. That's fair. All right, now it's time to role play depression, and you'll roll with it. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, welcome to last night's session, Zach. That also yep. happened last night. I'm you know. super excited. Yeah, uh, when you accidentally with you. blow up an island, it's fun. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, but no, yeah, so, um, I think that really comes around to it is like just what 
circling big around on this arc that we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that p- players are important um, to making that DM uh, that DM burnout happen less, right? Because yeah. I think the more that the players give to me, the the more I give back to my players, right? Because yeah. I want to make players that are excited excited, mm-hmm. and I don't care as much when players aren't excited about the game, right? So yeah. if a player is, like, just kind of sitting there and doing nothing on their phone, right, then, like, what what incentive do I as a DM have to make something for them, right? That mm. That just feels like I'm putting more in than I'm getting back, you know? Yeah, um, no, and, totally. And yeah. you are. That's why it feels that way, right? Um, right. But I also want to say this. Earlier you said that um, in your experience, writers and actors are some of the best players. Sure. And I don't disagree with that. But I will point out that you're an actor and I'm a writer. <laughs> so. I think we're biased. Of course. And it, I, I think it might any, be, any, maybe. Yeah. I think any realistic opinion like that the, of of experience can only be given from the perspective of the experience that we've encountered, right? Yeah. So, and I th- I would love to invite other people to give me other opinions because, of course, like... Well, let me give you another opinion. Yeah. Um, I think I don't disagree with you, but I also think that you and I make excellent DMs because when we come to the table, we have a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of energy. And that's actually not always the best thing as a player that can steamroll, right? And you're afraid of this and I'm afraid of this. And we both know that about ourselves. And I feel when I'm playing in a game, um, I feel like I always have to be careful of that because I'm so afraid of just being like, react, 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 like yes and to every single thing that happens and then nobody else gets to play at all, you know? I'm terrified of being the guy who brings up his whole backstory when, what was his name, like Morgan or something is talking to his mom in his hometown. That example that is extremely obscure obscure that I brought up earlier. Anyway. um, Yes. so, So for me as a player, the best group of people to be with is other people who can match my level of energy and enthusiasm. And you and I play very well together in games as DM and player or both as players. It doesn't matter um, because of that. And Jerry is the same way. Jerry can match that level of enthusiasm on some level. But I've also played games that were much more muted and subtle. And um, in those games with those players, if you have somebody like you or I who is – like constantly loud and just like a constant, just in, in like in, unmutable chatterbox, right? As, sure. as we are. Um, if you have somebody like that in the scenarios, then it's, it steamrolls everyone else and it silences them and it can actually prevent new players from developing properly. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think that that point is like, is incredibly valid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that really speaks to kind of the difference between trying to involve um, newer players or even players who are just oh trying to feel out that totally. space, right? And and older players, because 
I know a lot of older players who are just like really excited about playing the game and then they get to a new table and they're like, okay, let me see, let me figure this out. And sometimes they revert back to that beginning phase of just like trying to feel out what's going on first before <clears throat> they really become those huge pores of, of energy. Totally. And, you know, uh, for me, I'm generally just kind of like, wah, I jump in. And, yeah. uh, so, you know, that's not... I, I think that maybe maybe that's something that I have to investigate about myself more, um, trying mm. to give more space to other people. Um, that's important, right? Well, Always trying I don't to think, find that balance is good. I don't think it's bad, Alan. I just think what I'm, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get across is when you're farming for players, the, the wisdom that I've discovered painstakingly and with a lot of wasted time, if I'm honest, uh, <laughs> is that you can't just find players you like. You can't just find people you like and put them together and expect them to be a good D&D right. party. You need to find people who are of like a similar energy level. Talking about Edia again, we've discussed this post-camp or post-session while Edia was going on and even since then. There was that imbalance. You and Jerry, yeah. who was also in that campaign, um, you had this really good dynamic with your two characters. You, you had this really energetic tone. But... Some of the other players didn't, and sure. and that doesn't mean that they never had moments, and it doesn't mean that they didn't enjoy the game, um, and it also doesn't mean that they never interacted with you. But there was a dynamic created there which I wasn't necessarily thrilled about all the time. I, I liked agree. playing Edia a lot through that one time. I agree. I, I had a lot of fun with it, but I wouldn't say that I think there were no problems going on, you know? Oh, I, no, I agree. I, and I think that almost going into any D&D campaign and saying there will be no problems with this campaign is mm -hmm. just like, uh, it, you're you're wrong first. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there's always going to be problems, right? It's kind of how you, how you go forward with them. And of course, I, I agree with you. I think that there were some times where I was just like, really going off with uh with jerry and then i realized uh, you know after the game i was like man maybe i should just step back a little bit more but you it's know? hard that's because fair. you don't want to rob yourself of those moments that's that's the game that's what D, &D is are you going to play D, &D or are you lightning not? in a bottle yeah exactly exactly so now to bring this all the way back around to like what we were talking about an hour ago yeah what is the end game why are you excited why are you inspired I talked about how for Edia, that's a campaign setting that I've taken and I've molded and I'm working on it actively, right? Mm -hmm. And the things that I'm excited about for Edia go into like a Google Drive document and that's it. And they just sit there and maybe someday I'll use them. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Um, but I'm not getting excited for the session. I'm not getting excited to present it to players. I'm getting excited to write it down to maybe never look at it again, right? So yeah. it depends. And you're doing almost the exact opposite. You're trying to limit yourself to only being inspired and only being excited about things shortly beforehand so that they remain fresh for you in the game. So it seems to right. me like for you, the game is your end goal. The game is your, your end. Whereas I've run many campaigns in Edia, and I would say, similar to Star Wars, that... The general <laughs> lore and the background in the universe is way more interesting and exciting to me than any one of those games have been. Your game that yeah. you played in was probably the thing that came the closest to that. But as I said, there were still problems. So if every campaign is destined to be problematic on some level, like what level are you are you happy with, you know? And I don't know yeah. that my relationship towards that, towards the answer to that question is necessarily a healthy one, but writing 
the EDIA setting for me and the EDIA campaign for me is therapeutic and, and it's how I relax, you know? So it yeah. plays more parts in my life than um, just playing D&D. So, yeah. yeah. What is your yeah. end so, game, I guess, is my question. I, I think that's actually super interesting that you're, you you phrase it like that, right? Because we go forward and we're like, okay, well, like, um, you're a writer and I'm an actor. I think that yeah. kind of almost embodies the problem, or not the problem, the situation in and oh, of itself. Oh, totally. Right? You're right. Because, like, I'm here to act. Mm-hmm. I'm here to embody those spaces of performance. And you are here, uh, in that same respect, to to write, right? Mm-hmm. You want to get that on the page. You want to feel like you have the scenarios in a place where it can be consumed as um, uh, as a story or as lore um, yeah. or as like a compendium of places or, or as a setting, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So for, for me, I feel like it really comes down to, you know, just like what you enjoy about the game. And that doesn't mean that like, I don't want to make a setting guide for the, for the world that I have too. Like, I'd love to do that. Right. Yeah. I, I've been trying to kind of like piecemeal do that over the course of the amount of time that I've run games in it and that other people have run games in it. Um, but like, as we move forward with that, it's just kind of like the direction that we take is from opposite ends, right? And yeah, that's, I think that really comes back to just, you know, you know, like finding those things that inspire you. Um, uh, it's just different for every person. And finding the ways that burnout affects you is different for every person. Um, but <clears throat> hopefully the things we've talked about today have been good ways for people to maybe look for those pitfalls and try and feel like they can understand on a better level where they come from and possibly where they might be able to sidestep them. For sure. For sure. And it's been an interesting discussion one way or another. Um, yeah, for sure. Thank you everybody for, for listening. listening. It's been it's been wonderful to have um, this discussion. Me and Zach have talked about recording this type of stuff for so long. It's nuts. Like, yeah, seriously, forever. And so it's just been something that we've really enjoyed, um, you know, talking about before. And now the fact that we have the option to share it with everybody else is um, is wonderful. So um, we will, you know keep trying to do this but thank you all for listening you're wonderful i hope you're having a good day um zach is there anything else you'd like to say that's the outro (laughs) okay (laughs) goodbye everyone